Let us pray. God, just as our ancestors in faith shouted with joy as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, so too we celebrate and rejoice when Jesus comes into our lives. As we hear these words, as we share these stories, may we more and more welcome Jesus into our hearts and into our world. Amen. We are in uh, Palm Sunday and the, I believe, sixth week in our series for Lent on Fruit of the Spirit. And this week we're talking about gentleness. Now, gentleness isn't always uh, the most prized of virtues in our time. More often we talk about heroes and bravery and big, bold people in life, and less often about the gentle about the small acts of compassion and kindness that sustain our lives and weave together community. But in Jesus's vision of the world, gentleness is one of the most prized virtues and gentleness is what we are called to cultivate. Sometimes I've heard from people a temptation to want to separate the teachings of Jesus from the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus as though Jesus just came to uh, tell us how to live and not to show us, as though Jesus were just one more philosopher starting a new philosophy and not the Son of God. The idea that we can take Jesus's moral teachings and separate that from his life. And that idea has always seemed to me a bit silly because Jesus didn't, that, didn't just teach, but he lived. And in every action he takes, he shows us the way in living and in his ministry by welcoming the outcast by eating and drinking and rejoicing he shows us the way of how it is to live by dying for us on the cross sacrificing his own self for the sake of the world he shows us again how to live pouring out our lives for the sake of the world and in rising to new life he again shows us how to live that death does not have the last word, but that life and the fullness of life is promised by God for all people. And so we hear in our readings today two stories, one of Jesus's teaching and another of Jesus's actions. And in his teaching, we have one of the most classic and famous of Jesus's messages, the Beatitudes, a series of statements about who in Jesus's kingdom are the blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the cause of justice. Blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are abused, when people say all kinds of vile lies about you on account of Jesus. Those are the groups that Jesus names as blessed. And it's important to note here that Jesus does not say that these people will be blessed at some future state, but Jesus says right now, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the makers of peace. Blessed are the gentle. It's not something that will happen someday, maybe, but it's right here and right now in Jesus's kingdom, these people are already blessed. They're already 
marked by God as those on whom God's favor rests, those whom God loves. And what's interesting here and in the other of Jesus's teachings is that often the people that Jesus marks out as being those on whom God's favor rests, the blessed, are not those whom the world would account as the blessed. It's not the rich and the powerful, the important or the upstanding citizen, but it's the poor in spirit, the mourners, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for justice, those who are persecuted for the cause of justice, the pure of heart and the merciful. These are the people who Jesus says are blessed. And it's precisely the opposite, quite often, of those whom the world says are blessed. That if the world says the rich and the powerful and the famous are blessed, Jesus says it's the gentle and the merciful. It's the persecuted who are blessed. And this marks all of Jesus' teaching, as he again and again, in each of his acts of teaching and each of, his, of the deeds that he enacts, marks God's great reversal that in Jesus' kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. And so the order of the world, the order of our day, which has some people up here and some people down here, in Jesus' kingdom, they switch places. Everything gets turned upside down. And so the last will be first, the first will be last. So it is not the rich, the powerful, or the famous who are blessed, but the gentle, the poor, the abused and excluded and persecuted, the pure of heart and the merciful. Jesus' vision is of a very different kind of world than the one in which we live or the one in which he said these words. A very different kind of kingdom is the one that Jesus teaches about and calls us to live in and to build. But Jesus doesn't just teach, but he also acts. He moves in society and in history, living out the way that he teaches, that he embodies. And so, uh, just days before the festival of the Passover, an ancient Jewish holiday which continues to be celebrated by our Jewish sisters, brothers, and relatives today, Jesus marks, uh, has a parade. Now, it's important to know the, the story behind the Passover to understand what's happening here. The Passover celebrates when God leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the Promised Land. And so every year, Ever since that exodus, the Jewish people have celebrated that moment of how God uh, intervened powerfully in history to set their ancestors free and how this is the character of God. God is always on the side of the oppressed. God is always helping people find freedom. And so in the day when Jesus has his parade, the Jewish people and their city of Jerusalem are under Roman occupation. They have a Roman governor, Roman laws, Roman soldiers, they pay taxes that go to pay for the Roman Empire. They are under Roman rule and Roman occupation. And so every year when they got up close to the Passover festival, the Romans started to get nervous about what was going to happen because the festival was all about how God topples kings and sets the people free, how God is on the side of the conquered and not the conqueror. And so when you are the conqueror, the occupying force, this festival gets you a little nervous. Would the people rebel? Would all these stories about freedom mean that they would start to break the laws and try to maybe even win their own freedom? Would they resist the Roman occupation? And so before the Passover, the Roman governor would ride in on a war horse with all kinds of soldiers and chariots with him in a great parade into the city to show who Rome thought was in charge. 
And that was the Roman Empire with their governor and their military. And so on this day, Jesus decides to have a little fun. And he organizes a protest, a counter parade to mock the Roman parade. So if on one side of the city, Rome and all of its soldiers are parading in, then you know on great war horses with all their might and their power and their shiny armor, on the other side of the city, Jesus has a parade in himself with all of his disciples who aren't fancy Roman soldiers, but who are teenagers, poor fishers and peasants from the rural communities, uh, disreputable women, a whole group of people uh, who probably hadn't bathed in days and looked very different than the Roman soldiers. It's this group of people, and Jesus doesn't come riding in like the Roman governor on a great big war horse, but comes riding in on a donkey. And there's children singing. And it's a very different feeling than the Roman imperial parade. It's a parade of hope and of joy that things could be different, that they wouldn't be ruled by Rome, but would be ruled by God. And so the people sing with joy. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. They're excited that Jesus is coming to change things somehow. They might not fully understand what it is that he's doing, but he know that through Jesus comes freedom, comes hope, comes peace, and comes justice. But some in the crowd get afraid of this talk of a new king coming in on a donkey. That when the people start being ready to name Jesus a king, they're worried about how the Romans will respond. What happens when a new king announces himself when you're the old king? And so some people who want to try to keep everything calm and orderly and not cause too much fuss or commotion, some of the Pharisees in the crowd say, Jesus, if you could just keep all this king talk down, if you could just quiet down this protest parade that you've organized. And then Jesus laughs and says, I tell you that even if all this crowd were to be silent, the stones themselves would cry out. This is, I think, one of the most beautiful lines in all of the scripture. The idea that it's not just people in Jerusalem or in our day who ache for the different kind of kingdom, a more gentle one that Jesus teaches us and then lives out for us, but it's even the earth itself that is eagerly awaiting the day where it's the gentle that will inherit the earth and not the conqueror eagerly awaiting the day where it's the gentle. And so the stones themselves are ready to sing Jesus's praise if the people will keep silent. The stones themselves have been waiting for this day ever since they were first uh, torn off of mountains or dug up from the earth to build the city. They've been waiting for this day when Jesus would come in announcing a new kingdom, a gentle kingdom, and teaching his way of gentleness for the people then and for us now. And we know how Rome responds whenever it's under threat. We know how one of the greatest uh, military empires of human history deals with people who start talking about freedom and rebellion. We know that they have a, a habit of what they do when people begin to talk like this, to respond like Jesus. And we'll hear more about that in the days to come this week. Amen, and thanks be to God.